It's, and our theme is the disciple makers. Tonight, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want you to say amen. All the disciples of Jesus Christ say amen. Amen. And so tonight, we're going we're gonna to raise the bar when it comes to uh, being a disciple. Anybody else need a pen? Uh, Josh went and got some. Uh, we're going to raise the bar ab- about our understanding, and over the next few weeks, raise the bar of our understanding about who we are as disciples and our responsibilities as disciples. In fact, next Wednesday night, uh, I will not be here. Josh will be speaking next Wednesday night, and he's going to carry this same theme. And so be here Wednesday night because, hey, we, we've got we've to get a grasp on who we are as disciples and our responsibility. So with that in mind, turn to Matthew 28. I want you to this is this is, in fact, if you could melt down the responsibility of a disciple, it would be what we call the Great Commission. If you could melt it down to one thought and one idea, it would be the Great Commission. And so uh, understand that. And let's just read it together. In fact, I'm going to start in verse 16. And I want you to turn your Bible to Matthew 28, verse 16. And these are really some of the, if not the last words, or some of the last words of Jesus Christ to his disciples. This is post-resurrection. If you go back in verse 28, he's risen from the dead. And if you go to Acts 1, you know after he rose from the dead, he spent, uh, was it 40 days with the, with the disciples teaching them things concerning the kingdom of God and, and this great commission. Everybody say great commission. I mean, it's a, it's a great from the standpoint of big, great from the standpoint of awesome. It's great in every way. So verse 16, then the 11 who? The 11 disciples, how come, how come, I thought there were 12, what, how come there was only 11? Poor old Judas. In fact, if you read and study about Judas, you would almost believe that he didn't have a chance. I mean, it's just, but Judas, uh, uh, he, man, he, it, it ended bad for Judas. And so Jesus is speaking to who? The disciples. And he went away, and then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And let me just stop and say, God has an appointment for every disciple. And, it, and, it, and the appointment and the calling and the purpose and the responsibility is not just to be at the mountain, but to get what he has for you at the mountain. Are you with me? And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm telling you, still, there's always a doubter in the crowd. Uh... I wonder who that doubter might have been. Come on now, talk out loud with me. Who was the doubter? It was doubting Thomas. John gave a good uh, under, uh, um, uh, record of, of doubting Thomas. You know, what did he say? I'm not going to believe until I put my hands in his side and feel the scars in his hands, something like that. Some doubted. And there's nothing new under the sun. There's people that still doubt. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, follow me clearly, follow me closely. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Somebody say make disciples. Make disciples of how many nations? All nations. I think that word nation really means, uh, I think uh, the Greek is okios or something. It really means people groups, which nations works as well baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you know you baptize people who are born again, right? When people are born again, what did he do? He said, be baptized. In other words, the commission is go find people and and teach them and train them to the point that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and invite him into their heart and then baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he, he lifts it another level. It's not just to get you born again. How many of you know discipleship is not just to get people born again or just to be born again? 
In fact, I'm kind of a firm believer that you could be born again and not really be what we would call a full-fledged disciple or a follower or an adherent to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so he said, he said, get them saved, uh, uh, get them uh, baptized. Uh, and then verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And everybody say the last word. Amen. Amen. So this, I believe, if, if I, uh, were, uh, kind of a, this is not just a bet. This is a, this is more than a hypothesis. This is my, my understanding that this is the real core purpose of God for true disciples. In fact, when you read this, you, and when you put it in the context and you can fill in the blanks here, uh, you realize that the great commission is, is God's top priority for the church. Somebody say top priority. This is his priority. How many of you know, uh, he, as he left planet earth, he, he empowered, you go to Acts 2, he empowered the church with the power of the Holy Spirit so they could do what? Fulfill the great commission. You see the, the, the power. In fact, uh, uh, I'm going to run over there. This is not in your notes, but, uh, I just want to validate this for you. If you go over to Acts chapter one, when you, and you read what Jesus said, he said, uh, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the what? Uttermost parts of the earth. So, so he's, he's just linking it all together there in this 40 day seminar on what his top priority is. And the great commission is his top priority. And what I want you to see here, especially in verse, gosh, uh, in the, well, in all of the great commission is that true disciples will always beget disciples. True disciples will always beget disciples. In other words, we naturally, it should become our nature. How many of you know sheep begat sheep, right? Sheep don't, everybody goes, amen. And disciples are supposed to begat and reproduce disciples. If not, there's something wrong with what's going on in our spiritual journey. If you're with me, say amen. Now, how many of you were at Sunday Circles last Sunday? All right, some of you were. Uh, I, we, we talked about three principles, and I wanted to re-hit those here this morning, or this evening, pardon me, because, because I just think this says it the way we can get a grasp on it. And so here it is. True disciples, by their very nature, will, number one, model. Model, M-O-D-E-L. That's that 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. True disciples will model. In other words, Paul, Paul said, you just follow me. What I do and how I live, you just model yourself after me. And a true disciple models the, the purpose and the plan of God. And a true disciple not only will just model, but they mentor. Somebody say mentor. And that's that 2 Timothy 2.25 passage, and we won't read it because we hit it Sunday, Sunday morning. But basically, Paul tells Timothy, you go find some people that need the gospel, and you just share with them and teach them. And, and he basically, he says, you, you may save them from destruction. You, you mentor people to the way of the Lord and to the way of God. Uh, and that takes time, energy, and effort. How many of you realize when you mentor someone, it's not a one-time shot, right? It's a, it's a real investment in other people. Can I tell you today that, that disciples, uh, if they're going to fulfill the Great Commission, they've got to not only live it, but they've got to share it, and they've got to invest it in other people. And, and you know, uh, reproduction, now follow me just a little, don't go too far in left field. Reproduction normally requires some level of a relationship, am I right? It, it requires a relationship. And so, like, don't go too far, but you understand, uh, it takes, it takes people gathering together, building relationships for us to be able to not only model, but mentor for others the gospel and the good news and the purpose of God for our life. And then, of course, the, I think the result of that 
is multiplication or multiply. Everyone say model, mentor, multiply. In fact, that Second Timothy 2, uh, uh, in fact, uh, there's a website, I think, Global Advance. It's, it's second, second Tim 2, it's 2 Tim 2, I think is what it, 2 Tim 2, 2 or something. And it basically talks about this very principle right here. It's passing it on. He said, you go find some other faithful people and you, you invest in them and you share with them so they can go and do the same. You see, the goal is not to mentor one, but that the goal is to mentor one or two who will then go and mentor one or two. And how many of you see the multiplication effect kicking in when we take seriously the responsibility of God over our life as disciples? And so it's top priority. That's why this whole series and our theme for the next few weeks is the disciple makers, not just people who follow Jesus, not just people who worship Jesus. And it's good to worship Jesus. Uh, but And they did when they came into his presence there on, uh, uh, in, on the mountain in Galilee. They worshiped him. Some doubted. They worshiped him. And and then he shared with them the top priority. Someone say top priority. And so that's what I want us to begin to embrace. That's what you and I need to begin to embrace. Uh, you know, what's the top? In fact, I heard a series, uh, a series, uh, a study done once with a hundred uh, evangelical churches. And they asked the church members a question and they asked the pastors a question. This is a, kind of an old study, but they asked, they asked them, them all What's the purpose of the church? And, and a large percentage of the people in the church said something along these lines, to meet my needs and to help me. That's their understanding of the purpose of the church. And the majority of the pastors said something along these lines. What's the purpose of the church? To win the world for Jesus Christ, to make disciples. And so when you got the church and the pastors at different ends, we got a problem. And so there's a stalemate. So it's important for us here as we begin this series and walk through this really a, a large part of the summer that we embrace these three words, these thoughts, this scripture, that my responsibility as a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ is not just to come to church, not just to pay my tithes, both of those are great things. And not just to smile and nod and, you know, and do my part working in the nursery. Those are all good things or in the children or in the youth. Those are all good things. My responsibility, the top priority, and really the purpose of all that we do here at Church on the Rock North is to make more disciples. Could to get a better amen? We got to come to a realization of some things. Here's what we must realize. I want to talk. Hey, the word realize means to become fully aware of. You see, I'm not sure. In fact, I know, but based on statistics, that the church is not fully aware of her responsibility in the earth, especially when it comes to the Great Commission, especially when it comes to making disciples. And so we, when it comes, and, and I'm, in fact, I tweeted this, and I don't know if anybody follows me on Twitter, but it goes over to Facebook. I said something like this. When it comes to the top priority of God for the church, most believers are oblivious to the obvious. We're oblivious. That, that, that little study that I shared with you earlier means the church, the people, those who would call themselves disciples are really oblivious to the obvious. What's the obvious? Uh, hey, the top priority of the church is to reproduce ourselves and make more disciples. Everyone say model, mentor, multiply. What's the problem? Well, there's a lot, there's a plethora of problems. Uh, but I'll say it this way and then just validate it for you uh, with, with a parable from Jesus. Other things have diluted the divine directive of the Great Commission. That word diluted, it's just watered down the divine directive of the Great Commission. And when you, when you read Mark 4, uh, and the parable of the sower and the seed. You remember the parable of the sower and the seed? He's talking, it's an illustration. The seed is the word of God. The seed and the, and the soils are the conditions of people's hearts. In fact, three out of the four, only, only one out of the four, I think there's four soils, produces a harvest. 
It's in fertile soil. It's in good soil. It's in, it's in soil that is receptive to the Word of God. The other, in fact, one of them says the, the, the thorns and the, and the, and the weeds choke out the seed and choke out the Word. Uh, and, and it says, and it's the desires for other things. Those weeds and thorns are desires for other things. How many of you know, we now live in a world that has a plethora of options. Are you with me? I mean, I'm telling you, man, just whatever you want right there. What do I want to do today? Where do I want to go? What do I want to see? What do I want to hear? What do I Just a plethora. I love that word. Everybody say plethora. That just means there's so many things that enter our world that dilute and water down and take away our attention and draw us away from the top priority of God for our life. That's the Great Commission. And so we need to realize, we need a, really, we need a revelation in our heart. We need an understanding and a revelation. Now, in fact, tonight, even as I'm teaching, you might get the understanding, but what we all need is a revelation from God. We need a revelation from God in our life concerning His purpose and plan for our life. Uh, in fact, I, I meant to tell you this earlier. What I'm going to share with you tonight and what I am sharing with you tonight may become a Sunday morning sermon series. I'm kind of putting it all and trying to package it right. But when I got finished with this, I thought, my goodness, this is a lot for tonight. So I'm going to, in, in a moment, I'm going to, we'll, we'll move a little faster but uh, so I want you to understand that you may hear this in much greater uh, depth and width and breadth in the days to come. Uh, but uh, uh, I just wanted to throw that in. We need a revelation. And you look at Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, he had a revelation. In fact, turn to Acts 9. You know the story, but I want you to see it in Acts chapter 9. How many of you know what he was doing prior to, to his conversion experience? What, was, what did he believe his purpose was? to stifle and, and stamp out, if you will, this new movement that we now call Christianity. And in Acts chapter 9, Paul has a revelation of Jesus and his purpose for his life. And, and gosh, and verse 3, I'll jump in there. And he journeyed, and as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus. Suddenly a light shone about him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He, uh, he knew he was someone important. He called him Lord. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and we'll be told you what you must do. And you know, he went and he met Ananias there and the rest of it. He was baptized and he was born again. And his life transformed. And from that day, he began to follow Jesus. He began to become. And, and some, uh, if you read some other passages concerning him, uh, it looks like he spent about three years before he officially began to minister. And he, what was he doing? He was growing in the Lord and he was becoming a true what? Disciple. And he began to preach the gospel. He began to empower the church and raise up. He had a revelation. And see, we, we need a revelation. In fact, let me just show you this in a couple of places. Go to Galatians. Take a right. I think this is his kind of testimony. Uh, I went too far. First Corinthians, second Galatians. Look at Galatians uh, chapter one, verse 11. Let's just listen to his testimony here. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me by me is not according to man. What's he saying? I'm not preaching to you some teaching I got from some dude down on the corner. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came to me through what? He got a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying all of us are going to have a Paul uh, or Saul revelation where we get knocked down and we hear his voice, audible voice saying, you know, uh, Sam, Sam, why are you persecuting? Or, uh, hey, it could happen that way. But let's just believe God enough that all of us as his followers, as Christ's followers, 
If we're going to become his disciples, those who reproduce after like kind and raise up others and model men to multiply, we need a revelation in our heart. He says in verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal, there it is again, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. There it is. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days and on and on and on. What do you see in Paul? life? What sparked it? What moved him out of Judaism and out of religiosity and out of persecuting the church? He had a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we need that revelation. We need to realize some things. And I'm going to share some of those with you. In fact, he, and he mentions it again in Ephesians 1:17. He says this as he's praying for us. I love this. He said, I, verse 16, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17 of Ephesians 1, and here's his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowing and the knowledge of him. And so there's some things we need to realize from God about him and his purpose for our life. And the responsibility we have as genuine followers of Christ. I think of John the Revelator. He saw what, what, he had a revelation of Jesus. He had a very real one. It, the Bible says this, and I'll just throw this out as food for thought. It says, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I saw the Lord. Listen, if you want a real revelation of Jesus concerning your life and really the purpose of God for all of our lives, and that is to be uh, disciples, those who beget disciples, those who help fulfill the Great Commission, you get into the Spirit. You begin to uh, get into the presence of God, and His purpose and plan will begin to unfold for you more and more and more and more. In fact, when you think of the first century church, what were they doing before the Holy Spirit fell on them? They were praying and prepping their hearts, putting themselves in a, in a place where God could reveal himself to them in a whole new way. Everybody say, we need a revelation. We really do. And as disciples, in order to make disciples, we must realize, that is, become fully aware of some things. Let me enumerate a few of them for you. Let's move forward, Ike. Here we go. Uh, we've got to realize, number one, that we, that we must be. Now, don't, don't, don't run out. Uh, the, this is a kind of a play on words for the next few moments. We must realize that we must be euthanized. Put to death. Listen. Understand something. What happened to Jesus? Jesus had to die so others could live. And our will and our plans and our purposes and our goals and our dreams have got to be subjected to his purpose and plan. And the best way for that to happen is for us to be able to say, even as Jesus said, there on, on, in Golgotha, there in, on the, uh, in the garden, what did he say? He was battling. Do you remember when he's praying before he, what did he say? Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, finally, after three times, everyone say, nevertheless, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What was he doing? He was dying, if you will, to his own uh, uh, fleshly desires and understand something. He was all God, but he was all man. And he had, he did not want to in his natural person did not want to die. And so we've got to learn to die to some things. And in fact, 
Uh, if you let's just go there, I I want you to see it again. Go back to Romans six. This is Bible study night. He's talking about the battle of sin. Look in verse four. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into what? Death. In other words, according to the scripture at the cross, our old nature was nailed to the cross and it was put to death. Let's follow along. Read it a little more. We were all baptized. Or do you not know that as many as were baptized were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we had been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, somebody say knowing this. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who had died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death that he died. He died to sin once for all, once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Look at verse 11. Likewise, you therefore reckon yourselves to be dead indeed and to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's some things that have to die in us, right? And in order for us to really be his followers, we've got to die to some things. You remember Jesus invited a number of different people to follow him, didn't he? And some people wanted to, but they couldn't because they weren't quite dead to their own. He, he told one person, you let the dead bury the dead. He's talking about my daddy. And my daddy, uh, I got to stay and bury my father. There's no inference that his daddy had even died yet. In other words, he was saying, you know, when my daddy dies, I won't have his responsibility anymore. And then the others, there's just so many different where he says, you know, uh, you just got to forsake this and take up your cross. What is that a picture of? Death to ourself. And come and follow him. And so right up front, hey, uh, we've got to realize something that if we're going to truly be his disciples, we've got to be willing to put to death our plans and our dreams. In fact, lay our lives. What did the Bible says? Greater love hath no man than this, than one do what? Lay down his life for his friends. It's a life of sacrifice. And so we got to ask ourselves, this is, this is, you know, let me just tell you, uh, in fact, I saw a little funny video, uh, uh, on Facebook about, uh, church and it was kind of funny. They were talking about, oh, I, I couldn't even, exp- I'd have to show it to you, but it was how we've become so, so commercialized that w- with everything concerning the gospel, uh, did anybody see that? You think you saw that recently? You know, and they're going, come right on in, Pastor so-and-so. We need to fix you up. You don't, you're not dressed right. Boy, they got his hair all weirded out and got him all and, and told him how to preach. Don't get too, you know, you know, and how many of you know, that's not how Jesus started it all. And what we see with these disciples is when they began to really follow him and become his disciples, they died to themselves. In fact, many of them were martyred for the cause of Christ. And so we've got to have a revelation and understanding of that. In order to make disciples, we've got to realize that we must be euthanized, just die, just killed. How many of you got some issues in your life that still need to die? All of us do. In fact, it's impossible. Let me just throw this. I think it may be impossible to fulfill our new, re- these new resurrection responsibilities that Jesus gave us while living under the spell of our old man. And not, cr- how many of you know it's hard to, to move into something new if you're hanging on to that which is old, right? You know what Paul said about this? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, you can fill in the blank. He said this, I die daily. I die daily. Now, every day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my life down. I'm going to say no to myself and yes to Christ. So number one, 
If we're going to make disciples and fulfill the Great Commission, do our part, we've got to realize that we must be euthanized. And number two, here's the next play on words, but boy, it's a good one. We've got to be synthesized. And this is what Jesus was doing with his disciples. What does it mean to be synthesized? Combined into, co- into a coherent whole. He took a bunch of independence. He took a bunch of different kinds of folks from all different backgrounds of life. You know, uh, just, you know, all kinds of people. And he brought them together and began to synthesize them. He began to uh, build. In fact, Jesus said this, I will build my what? My church. And how many of you know the church, it, it's, it's not, it's not a, corporation of all independence and and self-sufficiency it is in fact look in acts chapter 1 verse 14 when when jesus said go to jerusalem and wait for the promise of the father you know what they were doing it says they all continued these all continued with one accord in prayer how many of you know they were being synthesized They were being brought together with one purpose and one call and one cause. In fact, what was Jesus building his church? In fact, Paul uh, uh, hit this pretty strong with his definition and his understanding and his description of the church. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about us as the body. He gives an illustration of the body. Everyone say the body. Did you, have you ever read that, you know, the eye can't say to the foot, the, the hand can't say to this. He draws a great picture that the church is not a bunch of independent-minded, self-sufficient, uh, egotistical, uh, uh, many gods to themselves. Uh, we are, we, be, we, we all different, you know, uh, you know, red and yellow, black and white all come together and by the power of the Holy Spirit and under the banner of the Great Commission, we become synthesized into a coherent whole, the body. In fact, Paul the Apostle talks about the body in not only 1 Corinthians 12, but in Ephesians 1, and then in Ephesians 4.16, he talks about the body that we're knit together by which every the, in, in fact, the Greek word talks, it's more like sinew. The joints, they come together and we're the body of Christ. How many of you know, uh, if we're not synthesized, we, we can't, we can't evangelize. It's a team effort. In fact, it's not only the body, but he talked about the building in Ephesians 2 as well. We're the building and, and we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so that's what this is all about. You see, let me just say, there's a, there is a move, there is a wave, there is a under, undermining of the, of the necessity of the family of faith today more than ever before. There are people are, are are moving to an independent, uh, self-sufficient. In fact, I'm reading a book right now calling, called Lasting Impact, and he is, he's identifying some cultural shifts that are happening in our world. And one of the big shifts among Christian people who would call themselves disciples is a shift away from the connection and the commitment of a synthesized local church, an independent mindset that says, I just do it my way and, and I'll go on my terms without us, without me having to deal with these other people. And that's a big problem in American culture today. And we've got to realize, we've got to have a revelation, not only that we've got to be euthanized, that is killed ourselves, but we, we've got to be synthesized. We've got to come to a revelation of the family of faith and the body of Christ. And in fact, when you read Ephesians, man, it's all we and us, man. It's not me and, 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 and you. It's we and us. They did this. All of us together. It's the body. It's the building. It's the family of faith. And we must be synthesized. And there is a movement, as I said, in our culture that is, if, if this is a word, desynthetizing, I, can't, I don't know, 
the people from the local church. And not just an offense. I'm going to tell you, it's not just offenses. You know, most that used to be the only thing. Well, so-and-so left the church. Well, what did he get? What bird did he get under his saddle? He just got offended at the deacon. That's about the only thing you ever heard. But today, they don't really have answers. They just here, there, and everywhere. And I'm telling you, I believe it's an uh, it's a demonic undermining of the core foundations of the church, which Jesus commissioned to make disciples. You see, the Great Commission will never be fill in the blank fully realized until the body of Christ becomes fully synthesized. I can't say it now synthesized the great commission will never be fully realized until the body of christ becomes fully synthesized we must be that and then number three in order to make disciples we must realize that we must be and 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 have been if you will authorized we have authority in fact, what did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18? He said, all authority is given me in heaven and earth. Now, I'm telling you, that's all authority. Everybody say all authority. And that phrase, all authority, that word all authority is the Greek word exousia. The King James translate it, translate, translates it power, but the New King James translates it authority, which is a better word. Uh, you know, there in, in the King James, there's a couple of words for uh, for power, two or three. One is supernatural power. Uh, Jesus used it in Acts 1 when he said, all power, uh, the power, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power. That's dunamis. That's supernatural power. But this one, where, where it's translated power in the King James, has to do with the fact that we've been given delegated authority. We have authority in this earth, spiritual authority. Over the kingdoms, in fact, as his representatives, we are his ambassadors, Paul said in Corinthians, and we have his authority on our life. In fact, one of, uh, I think it might be Mark, his his insight to the Great Commission, he said, you'll receive power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. In other words, we have authority over the devil. We have authority in this earth. And let me just throw this out at you. Though people are people of choice, and they can choose to say yes or no to God, we have spiritual authority over the atmosphere of this world. People are cringing about the atmosphere that's in our culture. We can take authority over that. And we can create an atmosphere of, of spiritual evangelistic fervor. In fact, what did Jesus do? He sent out the, the, the 70 and he said, I give you authority. And they came back rejoicing, saying, Woo, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said that was basically what he was saying. That's nothing. You don't need to rejoice in that. That's just what comes with it. You need to rejoice that your names are written down in glory because you're born again. In fact, Luke 10, that, that's, let me just dash over there. I want to read, read that to you. Luke 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke. When he's sending them out, he says this. I went too far. He says, I give you, what did I say, Luke 10, 18 and 19, says this. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. There it is, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We've been authorized. This great commission has, has authorized us. The whole world, uh, who was it said the, the whole world is my parish? Is that John Wesley? I don't know. What are those guys? John Wesley. He said, the whole world is my parish. So we've been authorized. Number two, we've been globalized. Man, that's a word too, by the way. He said, go into all the world. And listen, all of us have a responsibility in the world that we live in. Let me just tell you a quick story in Mexico. I don't do very good in Mexico when it comes to evangelism because I can't speak 
Spanish. Y'all should all shame me and buy me whatever it is that I probably wouldn't listen. I, I've been shamed by my friend there. I don't speak Spanish. We had some great Spanish speakers on this last trip, and it was phenomenal. And we were able to do a little more evangelism, and we had some, some time where we could. It was a father and a son, and they came by talking to us. We were on a rest period. There were no... no, no uh, uh, we were in a waiting mode, actually. No, no motors were running. He came by, and they were talking, and we shared the gospel, gave them gospel tracts. Man, they were reading them. He was reading it out loud. Uh, and, and you know what? That I was there, and that's my world when I'm there. And wherever we go, that's our world. In a f- few months, I'll be in Haiti with Jay Threadgill and uh, and. and, and Man, Haiti is the world. Our missionaries are our hands extended into the rest of the world. We've been investing in India. Uh, and, and so, but all of us need to understand we ought to have a, a globalized mindset that, hey, the whole world needs Jesus. And you know, when I go around the world, I try to keep that in mind. I look at people, I look at people I can't even talk to. And I realize, I, I say, I, I, I see people. In fact, I saw a really cool Mexican guy. He was like the Marlboro man of Mexico to me. He was the coolest old guy and he had long gray hair. He was riding on a donkey. Uh, maybe he was a Mexican Jesus. I don't, he didn't, I don't think he didn't look too redeemed. He had a big old mustache and he had some, you know, big, you know, and just, I mean, I, and I told the guys, now there's a real Mexican right there. That's like, uh, you know, and those people, in fact, I looked at him, I said, Jesus loves him. This I know. The whole world. And then number five, we've been weaponized. When you look at Acts 1 and 2, he was giving them power, supernatural power. The Holy Spirit, how many of you know the Holy Spirit wasn't just uh, 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 to comfort us, but to empower us for His kingdom purposes? We've been weaponized. This is where I could do a whole series on this right here. Uh, I could certainly do a Sunday morning about the weapons of our warfare. But Acts 1 and 2, the power of the Holy Spirit gave us supernatural power to win our world for Christ. And, uh, and, uh, and, and we would become, we're weaponized, if you will, with the power of the Holy Spirit to overthrow uh, spiritual forces of wickedness. We've been weaponized with the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. Uh, we've been weaponized. In fact, Paul said this in Second uh, uh, Chron- Chronicles. Paul, Second Corinthians ten, verse four. He said, "The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds." And so we we got to realize that we must be weaponized with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, with the with the prayers of the saints. In fact, that's that's why Jesus said, "Don't leave Jerusalem until you've got the power, the supernatural power." In fact, let me give you. I've given this illustration before. If you remember it, as I tell it to you, you can smile and nod. But those two words I told you about power. Uh, one was dunamis which is supernatural power. The other one is authority, which is uh, 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 delegated authority, both translated power. Look at the police officer. When you see his, the, the badge on his, on his shirt, what is that? That is his, that's his exousia, right? That tells everybody he's been deputized. He's been authorized. He is a representative of the, of the, uh, of the, of Beaumont or the state of Texas. Uh, but then that thing on his hip right there, that, that, uh, was it, do they use Glocks these days? I don't know. That weapon on his side, that's not, uh, in case someone does not recognize his exousia, in extreme cases, he may have to use his dunamis. That is his power. But we have both. We have authority. We have power. And the weaponry of our life, we've got to come to a revelation of that. We are not ill. We, we should not be ill-equipped when it comes to winning our world to Jesus Christ. We should know the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. That there, I think that's dunamis. The power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And everybody said amen. Now, here I'm going to do these quick. And once we realize... <laughs> 
that we must be euthanized and synthesized and authorized and globalized and weaponized. Once we get that down and realize this has got to be who I am, this has got to be who we are. We've got to be dead to ourselves. We are one body. We have authority over death, hell, and the grave and, uh, and over the devil. We have a global responsibility. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Once that revelation hits us and we realize, then we can begin to, here we go, then we can begin to, number one, visualize. You can begin to see things. I love what Jesus said in John four thirty-five. I think it's the story of the woman at the well. They were all coming to see him. She said, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. He said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. You see, we look at the world in a whole different way once we have a revelation of who we are as disciples and we begin to reproduce ourselves and die to ourselves and come together as the family of faith and, and take up the authority of God and the global responsibility and the power of God in our life. We look at the world in a whole different way. We don't look at them as the enemy. We don't look at them as, oh no, those people are those people. Man, those are bad people. Ooh, stay away. You know, golly, man. Uh, we look at the world in a whole different way and began to see them the way Jesus sees them. As harvest. As people who need Him. Once we realize who we are and the responsibility we carry, the responsibility we have, we can visualize. And then number two, we can capitalize. Make the moment most of the moment that God has given us. Jesus said this in John 9, 4. He said, I must work the work of him who sent me while it is what? For the night comes when no man can work. What's he saying? I gotta capitalize on my moment. I can't waste my moment. I've gotta redeem the time. In fact, what did Paul say in Ephesians 5, 16? He said, redeeming the time for the days are evil. We've gotta capitalize on this. How many of you have walked through life and walked through your journey and you missed opportunities, uh, to, to share Christ with others and, and you walked away going, yikes. I didn't make the most of that moment or that opportunity. I didn't capitalize on the moment. What would happen if we as disciples would begin to see the world like Jesus see them? And then every day we would capitalize on every opportunity we have to share the gospel and to be a disciple of Jesus and go into all the world. And then number four, then we can begin to, and here's some things we'll hang out uh, for the for us as as his church strategize a plan of action or a policy designed to achieve a major goal in life what's the goal win people to Christ make disciples and i want to tell you today strategies change let me throw this at you you'll hear it this again how many of you know the vision of god and the, and the mission of God are a little different. What's our mission? The Great Commission, right? Make disciples. What's our mission? Somebody say it. Make disciples. Reproduce ourselves. Vision and strategy. In fact, let me say that mission is static. It never changes. How many of you know that'll never change? That's all God's only thing He ever wants us to do as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ and make disciples. That's static. Now, strategy and vision. I call mission God's divine mandate and vision is God's divine methodologies. He gives us methodologies and strategies. And how many of you know strategies and methodologies change? And one man's methodology may not be another man's methodology. In fact, in, in old-timey days, I know there's nobody here been in old-timey days, but old-timey days they had, they had uh, uh, tent revivals. Anybody ever been to a tent revival? Oh, we got, oh, oh y'all are old timey. I've never actually been, to, I've been to a tent meeting, but I've never been to one where they had sawdust floors. In fact, I have a friend of mine 
who, who was preaching one time and there was an old rusty guy in the back kept coming and harassing him. And it was an old, and it was kind of rainy and he was up there preaching along true story. And he called that guy out under the power of the Holy Ghost. And he said, I got a word from you. And so he kind of stumbled to the front and man, you understand the sawdust was a little damp and, uh, and the, and the cord probably had a little. And so when he reached, he had the microphone here and he reached out to touch him on the, on the forehead and lay his hands on him. Electricity shot off his finger and went kapow, hit him right on the forehead. And this guy thought it was the Holy Ghost. <laughs> True story. Fell down on his and began to weep and repent. And got born again, became a, 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 a big deacon in the church there where that was connected with this revival. And nobody told him for about five years that it, that wasn't the Holy Ghost. That was just an electrical short and he just got shocked. Uh, but uh, I want to make sure it stuck with him. True story. Uh, that was a strategy back then. But I promise you something today. We set up a big tent out here and, and, and you know what? It's different strategies. And so we need fresh strategy and fresh vision from God. But when we began to realize, how many of you know God wants to give fresh strategy and vision for us to accomplish his kingdom purpose? You know, I do some things with social media that I think is a pretty good strategy. I, I don't know any better. I, I minister on Sunday mornings through my little simple, very simple little breakfast with champions. I have people all over the world watch me. Seriously, people in China uh, watch me, people in Mexico. I've got a, uh, one of our Mexican guys, Antonio. He, he don't understand what I say. He doesn't speak English, but he, he goes, he got, he gets a coffee cup, finds something when I'm there with him. He, he's a good guy. He said, and I can't say it. Anybody speak Spanish here? Can you say breakfast with champions? Championes or something? Yeah. He goes, uh, in Spanish, I'll just do it in a Spanish accent. He goes, breakfast with champion and I said what he watches me he can't understand me maybe I don't know if it maybe has a translator I don't know and then we'll be able to hey when we see it capitalize and strategize we can evangelize God wants to give us fresh strategy and means everybody said amen it's eight fifteen. that wasn't too bad was it now, when you hear some of this again, don't go, Pastor Amar, he talked that on Wednesday night. I guess he didn't have anything better to say. Don't do that. We'll, we're going to put, we're going to probably break this up a little bit. Not exactly sure how. Uh, but hey, the disciple makers, I want us to pray tonight. Let's pray together and let's ask God to help us, each of us, become disciple makers. Lord, tonight we just, we pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, not just to be followers and believers, but true, genuine disciples who reproduce after like kind. Help us to model, mentor, and multiply and see people born again and grow in Christ in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you tonight. I enjoyed myself. I hope you did too.